ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to Beyond the Bulletin Saint Edition. This is week three, uh, and maybe we'll do 16 more episodes of this. Maybe 30, uh, if Jerry Treziak and his wife Jean have their way. But, uh... <laughs> And all that will be revealed later. But right now, we're going to conclude this three-part introduction to uh, the concept, the doctrine, the teaching of the church on the role of the saints. Now, in the beginning, we did a, uh, well, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But after that, in the beginning on episode one, we did a general apologetic, a defense of this understanding of the saints. Why do Catholics have a veneration of the saints? Why do they do all this? And what are the, how do we even think about the saints? correctly. In the last episode, we talked specifically about holiness and honoring the saints. Very important. And now I want to talk about what the saints do for us because it's all about me. No, and what we're going to talk about is the role of saintly intercession in the Catholic life. One of the issues that many of our Protestant brothers and sisters have with the role of the saints is, one, it takes away glory from God. And we pointed out that it in no way, shape, or form, uh, no way or shape or form does it take away from the glory of an artist when you praise his artwork. You don't worship the artwork. You honor the artist when you honor the artwork. So, too, we give glory to God when we honor those saints who, in his image and likeness and filled with his divine grace, followed Christ so closely. The next objection that many of uh, our Protestant brothers and sisters have to the veneration of the saints is not just like this, this notion of... Uh, like that they're holy and we want to imitate them. The, the, some people are fine with that. You know, Anglicans have a, a tradition of saints, but it's this kind of next step understanding of like, what do you mean you pray to the saints? And when we talk about praying to the saints, we make a very careful distinction. In common language, you can say, yeah, I pray to the saint. I prayed to Mary. I prayed to St. Joseph. I lost my car keys. I prayed to St. Anthony of Padua. Whatever it might be, you, we use that phrase. But really what we are doing is by going to a saint, we're not really praying to them. The word in Latin, ora, for ora pro nobis, pray for us, means to speak, to beg. You know, it, it is a speech act with the mouth, right? So the idea of our um, calling on the saints is first because they reflect the light of Christ, that they are anything. So we're still honoring God in honoring the saints. But second, we're acknowledging that within the body of Christ, Right? These saints, or this saint in particular, had a role to play. Right, There was something within their lives that we often call it in the Catholic Church, they are the patron saint of X, Y, or Z. So if you're in the military, St. Michael the Archangel is the patron saint of the military. Right, So men who and women who are in the military often have a devotion to St. Michael, or they'll have like a reminder of St. Michael in their life, in their devotion. That doesn't take away from the honor and veneration of God, but it's also not immoral to ask for their prayers. And that's kind of what I want to talk about today. Many of us in the Catholic Church uh, don't fully understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what I mean by that is we often get caught up in the institutional way of being Catholic and thinking about ourselves as Catholic. Uh, one phrase is our Catholic identity, that we forget uh, this great line of G.K. Chesterton about St. Francis of Assisi, which is, he loved Christ, not Christianity. And what I mean by that is Christianity is composed of those who are lovers of Christ. They are in love and have received the love of Jesus Christ. 
it is not composed of those who really, really, really have a strong attachment to the church. People have a strong attachment to the church. They are the church because they are in love with and have received the love of Jesus Christ. That's the important distinction. When the church becomes least churchy is when the church becomes self-referential. When we focus on ourselves instead of focusing on Christ, that's when the church actually begins breaking down. That's when it ceases to be a church and becomes a clique or like a country club instead of the ecclesia, the called out ones, those who are called out of the world and called together in the name of Jesus Christ and by God alone. So the important distinction that I want to hammer home is the gospel of Jesus Christ means good news. It's news because it's about something that already happened and it's good, so you and I should want to share it, right? What Christ did for us 2,000 years ago, every word, every deed, especially culminating in the cross, the resurrection, and the ascension, are salvific. Every word and deed of Jesus is salvific. So that means we can look at his whole life and draw forth from it the love of God, right? And think about the depth that Jesus Christ went to us in order to show that love. Saints, starting with the apostles, motivated solely by that love, by that witness of the Father's heart for us in Jesus Christ, and filled with the Spirit themselves, which the book of Romans says is God's love poured into our hearts, right? This very notion, these saints said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. St. Paul says that uh, numerous times, especially in 1 Corinthians, I think it's chapter 5 and chapter 11, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. That's what every saint says in the history of the Catholic Church. Our veneration of the saints is based specifically on how they imitated Jesus. So you could say our veneration is based on their imitation of what Christ accomplished for us all. So saints in no way, shape, or form save us. Jesus Christ alone remains the one mediator between God and man. The Blessed Virgin Mary, to quote St. Uh, Louis de Montfort, who is one of the greatest Marian saints of all time, uh, I think it's in, this is me off the top of my head, I think it's in paragraph 14 of True Devotion to the Blessed Mother, said, in reality, Mary is closer to dust than she is to our creator. Why? Because she's a creature. She's a human person with a human nature, though sinless, that's what she is. She's closer to the dust than she is to the almighty creator. And this is important. When we venerate the saints, we ought never to fall into superstitious practices. It is so easy for us. You take a St. Joseph statue, then you turn him upside down. Then you angle his eyeballs away from the property, and boom, within 24 hours, you'll sell your house. Now, I realize I just angered every single parishioner from Louisiana who sold their house and moved to Texas by burying a St. Joseph statue upside down. But here's the deal. Superstition is when we invest things that have no power with power following these like magical incantations and stuff like that. We don't need to do that. We don't need to do that. You can have a veneration and ask for the intercession, beg for the intercession of St. Joseph to help you sell your house. You don't have to bury anything, right? And isn't that being kind of rude to the statue where you bury it? I think that is. Anywho, I digress. We as Catholics, the way, the principal way by which we preserve the veneration of the saints from falling into scandalous superstition, right, is by keeping our eyes fixed on the leader and perfecter of faith, Jesus Christ. In fact, every saint would say, 
to us, right? The moment we rub St. Peter's, uh, statue of St. Peter's foot in order to get a special magical blessing like they do at St. Peter's Basilica, one of his foots in this beautiful um, onyx statue that's there. <laughs> He's missing a foot, Jay. He's missing a foot by all the Italian moms who rub his foot and then they run to their daughters without washing their hands and then they bless their daughters and then the, the idea is like in two weeks they're going to get engaged. So we got to stop all the shenanigans because it takes away from the proper orientation. Now, no saint do we worship. And understanding worship here, we mean offering what is due solely to God. Do we ever give that to the saints? So I'm going to use the phrase adoration for what we give God and honoring or veneration for what we give to the saints. All the veneration in the world does not equal one ounce of adoration. Let me say that again. All the veneration in the world does not equal one ounce of adoration. As a Catholic, when I was lighting statues uh, as a young boy in front of a statue of St. Anne and Joachim with a young uh, Mary on their knee, right? So I went to St. Anne's Catholic Church in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. Beautiful statue of, of the pre-Holy Family, the precursor to the Holy Family, Saints Anne and Joachim and the child Mary. Um, I never once thought, as a Catholic, I'm worshiping these statues. I never once thought, as a Catholic, I'm worshiping uh, Anne and Joachim and the child Mary. Never once. But often for our Protestant brothers and sisters who don't know the piety behind it, it looks like we're kneeling down and might as well be Zeus and Hera from their, from their perspective, right? So as Catholics, we need to purify so as not to provide scandal our devotion to the saints. And this is important. I'm not saying we need to downplay, minimize, or retract our devotion to the saints. Oh, no. Oh, no, no, no. In fact, I believe we need to amp up our devotion to the saints. We need to be honoring the saints all the time. We need to be imitating the saints as they imitated Christ Jesus. Well, we can can the kooky stuff as we put the veneration of them at the forefront of how we love and follow Jesus Christ. The saints are great disciples. And because they are still alive in Christ Jesus, because they intercede with Christ in the heavenly glories, right? Just as the 24 elders are, have robes of white and crowns on their head and they offer incense filled with the prayers of the faithful, right? So too, they fulfill this function. These myriads of saints in heaven, of angels and saints in heaven, they're praying for us as brothers and sisters. We don't pray to them as if they're the end. Jesus Christ and the Father in the Spirit is always the end. So when we say, Mary, I'm really struggling as a wife and a mother. I'm really struggling here as a Christian disciple. I need your help. I need your help. Or here, let me give you, Jay, can I give you a good example? It just happened recently. Thank you. Uh, so I'm there doing the confirmation prep, and I reminded them that what they are doing is based on every sacramental reception is based on a moment of consent, right? The marriage vows are actually called marital consent, right? Before you're baptized, they say, what do you ask of Christ church uh, to be baptized? What does baptism give you? Eternal life in Christ, whatever it might be, right? So the idea is before they receive confirmation, there's this moment of consent around their renewal of the baptismal promises in which they respond, I do, I do, I do, I do, amen, right? And I told them there was once a girl who was their age that in overshadowing, with the overshadowing of the Holy Spirit combined with her, yes, Jesus Christ entered into the world. So too tonight, 
right before you get confirmed and the Holy Spirit overshadows you with his sevenfold gift, your yes, like the teenage Virgin Mary, who bore the hopes of a thousand generations of her people that came before her in her heart, right? Her yes is what made the Son incarnate in union with the overshadowing of the Holy Spirit. I said, so too, your yes will make Christ uh, anew in your heart, right, with the overshadowing of the Holy Spirit. So you can see how we can draw on the lives of the saints to be better imitators, to be better followers of Christ. So I encourage man and woman alike to imitate the Blessed Virgin Mary as someone of the same age when the Archangel Gabriel appeared before her. Now, what does intercession look like? And people, I need you to understand, we do not have enough devotions to the saints. We need more. We need it personal. The best thing about being a parish like ours is we have so many Latin Americans. We have so many, and every nation within South and Central America is filled with beautiful and traditional devotions, like Columbia, Our Lady of the Rosary, right? I didn't even know that. I was talking with someone, they're like, oh yeah, Columbia, we have this feast day, Our Lady of the Rosary. And all these people, they have all these different devotions. When we go to Honduras, uh, Deacon Mike Mims helped build the chapel of Our Lady of Suyapa. I think I'm saying that right. Our Lady of Suyapa, which is a very important Marian figure in that community. And it's beautiful to see how the different devotions, I mean, let's be honest, the greatest of all Marian devotions in my heart is Our Lady of Guadalupe, the Virgin of Guadalupe, right? That here is this massive uh, image of a woman clothed with the sun, right? Coming to evangelize a people that had been uh, basically evangelized by the worst uh, conditions, right? You're conquered, and now, hey, you know the conquerors, they follow Jesus, you should do that too. And they didn't. For literally decades, the Mexicans refused to convert. Very few did, and there was one pious one named Juan Diego that our Lord and our Lady granted a singular grace. And then we have the beautiful story of the Virgin of Guadalupe upon after that became known in Mexico, over 9 million people would convert to Catholicism, right? Because Our Lady's yes paves the way for Christ. And that's true. This is what we need to do in our devotion and in, uh, in, in pleading for the intercession of the saints. Now, that being said, let's step back and let's look at uh, the proper way to view their intercession for us. Number one, their intercession is always in union with the divine will. That means we don't go to a saint to get around Jesus. We don't go to Mary because Jesus told us no, but he won't tell Mary no. Right? That's not how this game works. Sainthood is defined by my union with God in Christ Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not like the Blessed Virgin Mary is going to be up in heaven be like, Jesus, listen, I know you don't like Mike Gormley. I know you can't wait to get rid of him. However, he asked me to win the lottery, so I'm going to ask you, don't refuse me. Like that, That's not how this works. So every saint in heaven is perfectly, perfectly in union with their wills to the divine will, of God the Father, right? Okay, so we need to understand that first. You can't fake with a saint, okay? You can't, Jesus isn't gonna go right and you go left with uh, Saint Jude, right? Like, it, it just doesn't work that way. Okay, number two, you need to understand that their intercession is always for your salvation, not for your comfort. That sometimes the cross needs to be made manifest in our life in ways that we don't want. And so what do we do? We cry out to the patron saint of uh, cancer, right, in order to be healed. It is perfectly legit for us to do that. 
It is perfectly legit for us to call on the angels and the saints, for us to cry out, son of David, have mercy on me, a sinner. Just like many of those who were ill, lepers, the blind, cried out to Jesus when he walked the streets of Judea so many years ago. It is perfectly legit. Don't, say, don't think I'm telling you not to. But what I'm saying is that the, the, the way the saints intercede for us, always being in union with the divine will, means that we have to be ready to accept the answers and not think, well, if I just do this enough times, then magic. This isn't magic. Intercession means relationship. So through your suffering of cancer, through maybe St. Monica and you have a wayward child, uh, maybe you're suffering, um, I don't know, profound poverty listening to this, right? Maybe you're at a public library because you don't own a computer and you're watching this video and you're struggling with poverty and you're calling on Mother Teresa, whose feast day is coming up very quickly here in September. Um, you call on her. The idea is that God and the saints are going to break in to bring you to holiness and salvation, not to take away whatever pain, because maybe that pain will lead you to holiness. Maybe that pain is what keeps you in salvation. St. Paul had what he described as an angel from Satan attack him. Uh, and he's using very difficult to understand language. He doesn't get very specific, but he said, a thorn in my flesh. If you've ever used that phrase, you know where that comes from. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he lays out three times I begged the Lord that this would be taken from me. And Jesus responded that he wouldn't. And he says, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. That is an incredibly difficult thing to hear. Pray for healing. Pray for it, right? Pray to be delivered from unemployment. Pray to be delivered from poverty. Pray that your brothers and sisters in Christ can hear your cries and answer them. Pray that justice roll down like the waters. Pray for healing in our land. Pray, pray, pray. But remember that Christ's grace is sufficient for you and his power is made perfect in weakness. He will not grant you something that'll rob you of your immortal soul's destiny to be united with the Father forever. That's why some of us, myself especially, have never won the lottery. Did you know the average, Jay, did you know this? The average lottery winner is bankrupt in eight years. So it would be more profitable for you to continue working your job than to win millions of dollars. Isn't that bizarre? It makes sense. St. James says, you have not because you ask not. And when you ask, you seek only to gratify the desires of your flesh. We all do this, right? We all cry out for comfort, comfort, instead of salvation, salvation. So when we talk about the intercession of the saints, and many of us get really angry when our prayers, we say, aren't being heard, maybe they are being heard, and you're hearing no. And that no is scary. That no can be very scary and disheartening, okay? Uh, what is it, the phrase that Cheryl Ray always says? Uh, it's a quote from the Psalms. Uh, Hope deferred makes the heart grow sick. You long for it. You want to be healed. You want whatever it is. And it just keeps waiting and waiting and waiting. This, in the meantime, has its own spiritual place in all of our lives. And I say this, uh, you know, obviously as a brother coming from a position where I have not suffered much in my life. But I have read the biographies of saints who have suffered. And the power of worshiping the crucified God of the universe, 
right? Von, uh, Hans Urs von Balthasar described Christianity, that unique difference of Christianity from all world religions is the ineffable poverty of the divine, incarnate, crucified love. That's the God we worship. So we should not be afraid of suffering, but rather my power, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Jesus Christ did not stretch forth his arms on a cross and die so that we can be comfortable, but so that we could be saved. And so when we turn to the saints for their intercession, it will never contradict the divine will, but also they will never intercede for something that appeals good, seems good to you, appealing to you, but ultimately will rob you of your dignity. Finally, I want to close with this. When we talk about the intercession of the saints, we ought to surround ourselves with what the church calls, well, when the church calls it the communion of saints, the Latin phrase for this is sancta et sancti, right? The communion of holy things and the communion with holy persons. So when we think of the communion of saints, we think, oh, those righteous, faithful dead that the church did a long process on, slapped ST, capital letter, at the beginning of their name, and that's who we're talking about. Now, what I'm talking about, first and foremost, is a communion in holy things, the chief of which is the Eucharist. Jesus gives us holiness, his grace, his life, what he accomplished for us 2,000 years ago through the power of the Holy Spirit and his church in the sacraments. Baptism saves you, as uh, St. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 3, bapt or chapter 2. Baptism saves you now. Okay, why? Because the blood of Christ is now placed upon us and cleanses us through the waters of baptism, a washing in the water and the word. And so when we start to live a communion of holy things, it shapes us to be holy and to dispose our will to say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, yes, Lord, right? So for instance, a man comes to me and says, I need to know how to pray. This is not a joke. This is a real story. And I say, you got to crawl before you walk, before you run. Crawling. Oh my God, everything is blowing up. All my plans destroyed. Save me, save me. That's how you crawl. Next, you say, Lord God, I'm starting these plans. Come bless me before they fall apart. Come guide me, bless me, whatever. And then the man sitting across from me said, well, what's the third stage? What's the run stage? I said, that's when you say, not my will, but thy will be done. That's when you surrender. Fiat voluntas tua. Lord, your will be done. Right? That's the heart of a Christian that can't just snap your fingers and get there. It's through the process of falling on your knees in prayer and being in a communion with holy things. Now, right now, I have a couple holy things right here. One, my coffee cup. No. <laughs> Sacred scripture opened up. Right, Reading the Bible regularly is a communion in holy things. I have the catechism of the Catholic Church diligently devoting yourself to the apostles teaching is a communion in holy things uh behind me over here yes we in the youth room here we always keep an, uh, a bible here as an object uh both to read from but also to venerate to honor but we have a relic of saint maria goretti relics are pieces of either the actual like bones of saints or um, something that they interacted with on a regular basis, like their garment, like if they were uh, in a religious order, their habit, something like that. This comes from sacred scripture. You know, when St. Peter and the apostles, they would walk through the streets, people would bring out their sick so that their shadow would heal them. 
uh, about 12 chapters later, somewhere in Acts, I think 17, the handkerchiefs and cloth that touched St. Paul were then carried far and wide, and it had miraculous powers of healing, right? The church has, uh, in St. Peter's Basilica, there's this famous painting of a pope, I think it's a pope, slicing a handkerchief with a knife and blood pouring out because there was a controversy over relics. And they were like, no, 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 I, you need a bone. You can't have this third-class relic. That doesn't matter. And then he quoted to him the Acts of the Apostles where St. Paul's handkerchiefs were bringing it, and he shoved a knife through it and blood came pouring out to be like, come on, the blood of the martyrs is still here. The, this is a communion of holy things, right? This isn't a magical amulet. This is a sacred thing meant to remind you of the God who loves you. So finally, the Catholic veneration of the saints is rooted in how we first worship Christ from the earliest of days. We hid from the Roman army that was butchering men, women, and children who dared follow the Galilean by having these vast catacombs underneath the city. And we would bury the dead in these walls. And then we would build an altar right in the middle, surrounded by the faithful martyrs and witnesses, right, who have gone before us. And we would surround ourselves with them, build an altar, and celebrate Mass amongst the dead, the righteous dead. That has carried on to us taking these, you, you can see here there's this little golden um, uh, carrying case that properly venerates this image or this um, piece of the saint, Saint Maria Goretti, patron saint of youth. You honor them because they did something honorable. That's the glory and the goal of the Catholic communion of saints. We have holy things that we surround ourselves with so that we too might become holy. So a teenager, right, worn out by the constant onslaught of a vicious culture that cares not about chastity or purity, can sit in front of an icon of Maria Goretti or come here and pray in front of this relic of Maria Goretti and beg for the courage of one who never sacrificed purity for the sake of comfort, even to the point of giving up her life, right? We have this beautiful reality of the saints who have gone before us, marked by the sign of faith, who can show us how to imitate Christ. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, as Hebrews 12 says, let us therefore leave every sin that clings to us and follow after Jesus, our leader and perfecter of faith. Now, in the coming weeks, we are going to do something special. We are on the path to building the chapel of Our Lady of the Angels. Part of the Horizon campaign was to build a chapel and a multi-purpose building. So far, 9% of our parishioners have donated to the Horizon campaign and bought for us a chapel. So we're going to begin the process of getting the chapel ready. I have a building committee meeting in like four and a half seconds after we hit stop right here. But the thing that I want to tell you is this is going to be sacred space. This is going to be holy ground. Every church is. But we are pouring our hearts into a unique, a unique, and I can't wait to share it with you. I'm just teasing it now. Jay's been doing a great teaser within the videos, right? But this is what we want to do. This is going to be a place where the communion of sancta, holy things, and sancti, holy persons, uh, is going to be, uh, it's going to charge the very air that we breathe when you enter into the chapel of Our Lady of the Angels. I, I can't wait to tell you more. I want to tell, Jay, I'm so excited. Are you excited? I mean, next week could be, could be exciting. I don't know. Next week, next week, people, 
We're going to make this happen, Captain. I'm so excited. It's so frustrating that I can't share more. But stay tuned. Right here, we are going to discuss much more of this. So we're laying out the why do we venerate the saints? Why is this so important? Because we have one family of God in heaven, in purgatory, and here on earth. And we all belong to one another because of the head of the body, which is Christ Jesus. God bless you. God love you. See you next week.